Luke chapter 21 is our text this morning, and we're going to be in verse 37, and we're going through chapter 22 and verse 36. So make sure you find your place there. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the back of the pew that's provided for you. I pray that you will open that up, and or if you have a cell phone and you have a Bible on there, just um, open that up and look at that. I do caution you, if you have an electronic device, that there are always opportunities for distractions, so... Be cautious with that. But if you're taking notes on the back of your program guide, there's a place there where you can take notes. And the title of the sermon today is Being Faithful to the End. Being Faithful to the End. Last week at the close of the service, I asked this question. If you knew that Jesus was going to return this evening, what are some changes that you need to make right now? Serious question. By the way, that's not hypothetical. I'm about to ask a hypothetical question, but but Jesus could return this evening. And and so there's there's a little bit of a, uh, there is a truth to that statement. Jesus could return back. And if he did return this evening, what do you need to do right now? What are some things you need to do to be ready to meet him? Now, I do want us to think of another question, and and this is one that I think that most of us have somewhat toyed with. We've probably fantasized a little bit with this question. If you knew that you were going to die within a matter of weeks, days, a couple of months, you were given to live, what would you be doing between now and the time to depart? A while back, there was a movie that was um, that came out that starred Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. And it was uh, titled uh, The Bucket List. And Jack Nicholson in the movie is a very wealthy philanthropist. And he is in his own hospital having to share a room with Morgan Freeman. Both of them have cancer, terminally ill. They are going to die. And through their relationship that they developed, sharing hospital beds uh, or sharing a hospital room, they begin to think about what are some things they would like to do before they die. And so they developed a, a, a bucket list. And essentially, if you don't know what that means, it's some amazing things that you'd like to do before you kick the bucket. <laughs> and so that's why it's called the bucket list. And so they did. They had a list of all these amazing things that they wanted to experience. They wanted to get all there is out of life, out of their experiences in this life now, before they kicked the bucket. And I think that most of us, given the opportunity, would want to experience some things that this world has to offer prior to death. Some things we'd like to do. Many of you probably are trying to fulfill some of those things. But I want us to think about that scenario. I want you to think kind of in that hypothetical situation as we look at our text this morning because what I want to invite you to think about is that Jesus knows that he's only a matter of days before he's going to die. He knows that there are evil plots that are taking place in secret against him in those moments before he is to die. He knows the type of death that he is about to experience. How do we find him? What do we find him 
doing. And so as we think about our own hypothetical, I want us to put this to a reality of what Jesus did in the days prior to his death. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this detail. Now, all of them record this this essential story, but only Luke records this detail. Verse 37 through 38, this is what we find Jesus doing days before he knows he's he's going to die. He knows that and he knows everything that's going on. And here's what we find, verse 37, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to hear him in the temple. The Mount of Olives was a place that is described in the Bible as a place that Jesus retreated by himself so that he could be alone with the Father. He would spend time on the Mount of Olives praying and spending time in communion with the Father. And here we have this scenario where Jesus is only days away from his death. And here's what we see him focused on. He's focused on teaching. Retreating to the Mount of Olives where the assumption here is that he is spending time with the Father. He is sleeping. He's getting back up early in the morning and teaching again. He's going back in the evening and he's praying to the Father, sleeping, teaching, praying, uh, sleeping, teaching. This is what we see. And the way that Luke writes this is that it's a repetitive nature. Jesus has developed a routine. And I believe it's obvious that from, from what Luke is saying here is that Jesus believes that the routine that he has developed is the most important thing he can be doing days before he dies. This was it. This is what he chose. He spends time with the Father and he pours himself into others. Now, as we think of that, we've got some behind the scenes Things that are going on that Luke is also showing us. It's a very climatic drama that Luke is portraying. And it's going to get more and more intense over the next several weeks as we come to this conclusion in Luke's gospel. But let's look at some things that are going on behind the scenes as Jesus has developed this routine of teaching, spending time with the Father, sleeping, teaching, spending time with the Father, sleeping, teaching, doing that for days, leading up to his death. Here's what's going on behind the scenes. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Now, they were meeting in secret because they didn't want the people to find out that during the Feast of Passover, they're plotting a murder. So they're being conniving, they're being sneaky. But what is Passover? Well, Passover is that Jewish holiday where the Jews are called to remember how God delivered them out of being in bondage to Egypt. And eventually this deliverance uh, that they celebrate as Passover, it was the Passover that was the thing that God used, and I'll explain that. It was the thing that God used to deliver them from Egypt. They went to the wilderness and ultimately ended up some years later in Israel, in their, their now what we would call the homeland of the Jews. The history of Passover is very interesting because when you go back 5,000 years, 
There was a time in history where the Egyptians had held over two million Jews in bondage. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They did the hard labor. They did the work. They were treated less than human. They were very harshly treated by the Egyptian people. And so God decided that it was time for children, the children of Israel to be released. And so what did he do? He sent Moses to be a spokesperson to go to Pharaoh. And what did Moses say to Pharaoh? God has said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And so God began to send a series of plagues. After every plague, he would go to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Let my people go. Ten plagues. Until we get to the tenth plague. And the tenth plague was the plague in which God was going to strike the firstborn son of every Egyptian. Every family in Egypt. He was going to strike them dead. God told Moses to go and tell Pharaoh that he was going to do this. Pharaoh said no. And so immediately Moses goes to the Jews. And he says, here's what you are to do on the 14th day of this month. At midnight, the death angel is going to come over. And what you are going to do to be prepared is you are going to take a lamb and you are going to kill that lamb and you are going to eat a portion of that lamb and you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to sprinkle it over the lintel and over the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes, he sees the blood, he will pass over you. Listen to what Exodus 12, 23 tells us. It says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. This is why it's called Passover. The Lord would pass over those homes who had the blood of the lamb sprinkled over their doors. This was also a picture a picture that several thousand years later would be uh, manifested in the person of Christ who would ultimately come as that sacrificial lamb who would die on a cross and His blood would be the way in which God would pass over the sins of His people. John the Baptist said this in John 1.29 referring to Christ. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was more than the life of Christ that was necessary to make atonement. The life of Christ was important. He had to be a sinless, perfect, spotless sacrifice. But it was his death and his resurrection that ultimately provided the atonement that was necessary for the sins of people to be forgiven. In order for God to save you, it requires the blood of Christ to be over your life so that when God sees the blood, he will pass over you. So Christ is literally the full representation of what all of the Jews were meeting there in Jerusalem to celebrate. And so this was a time that the Jews would come and they would celebrate what God had done historically, not giving any thought that any of this had anything to do with Jesus. It's estimated 
that in Jerusalem during the time of Passover, that the population increased by 300%. And vendors would come in, food vendors and entertainment. The streets would be filled. There would be all sorts of festivities. And all of this is going on while Jesus is teaching, spending time with the Father, sleeping, teaching. And while all of this is happening, we remember that the religious people, the leaders, the chief priests, what were they doing? Were they preparing their hearts to celebrate Passover? Were they looking forward to how they were going to instruct the people and how they were going to lead people into this worship of God? No, they were plotting how they would kill Jesus. That's what the religious people were doing. Or at least the religious leaders were doing. The chief priests, Caiaphas and Ananias, they were, they were not celebrating, they were plotting a murder. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows all of this. He knows what's going on. He knows he's about to die. He knows that the chief priests are plotting his death. He knows that even though they're meeting in secret, he can see their hearts, he can see their thoughts. And not only that, but we also see that while Jesus was going up to the Mount of Olives, one of his very own was betraying him. Look at what it says in verse 3 through 4 of Luke 22. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests, those who were plotting... Satan, obviously being the one who's directing all of this, puts those two together and they conferred together and, they, and, and, and offers how he might betray him to them. Hey guys, I know how you can get Jesus. I know how to do this. I know how to get him alone. He, he makes trips often to the Mount of Olives. I know how to help you plot. Since the beginning of creation, God had promised that there would be a Messiah who would come of the seed of woman. But he also promised this, that there would be a war that would exist between Satan and this one who would come. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And ever since that promise, Satan has worked in every single way that he could to destroy the Jews. Because if Satan could destroy the Jews, he could wipe out the lineage. He could wipe out the, the way in which Christ would ultimately come. What did we see when Moses was born? Pharaoh had issued that every midwife deliver children from the Hebrews. And if that Hebrew had a boy kill that boy, throw it into the Nile River. I want you to think of the typology here. Moses is pictured as one who is a deliverer of the people of God and he is spared. He is literally placed in a basket where Pharaoh's own daughter sees him and has compassion and takes him in and his life is spared. And eventually Pharaoh would come, recognize his place and would lead the children of God out of Egypt. Now then think of what happened when Christ was born. When Christ was born, Herod also put out a decree that every male child under the age of two be killed because he was part of this evil plot to kill this one. We see Satan is at work throughout history to kill Jesus. 
Thousands of years later, many failed attempts. Satan gets his chance when he enters into Judas. Now what I'm doing this morning, brothers and sisters, is painting you a picture. And the picture is simply this. I want you to see everything around Christ and I want you to see all the things that are pointing to Christ. The Passover is ultimately pointing to Christ. The chief priests are having secret meetings ultimately about Jesus Christ. Satan is thinking about Christ. He has entered into Judas so that he might betray Christ. And ultimately the chief priests and Judas get together so that they can plot together how to kill Christ. And in the days ahead, in just a few short days, there is an unmade cross that will ultimately hold the body of Christ. All of this is going on. And how do we find Jesus? We find him in a routine of life, teaching, spending time with the Father, sleeping, teaching, spending time with the Father, sleeping, teaching, spending time with the Father. I can't help but wonder, brothers and sisters, whenever we see these little details, why is it there? Why is this little detail there? And what is it for us that we can learn about Christ through this detail? And so for just a moment, I want us to think about this. I want us to dwell on what I'm about to say. It should be on the screen in front of you. Christians should live in such a way that if we knew We only had a few days to live. Nothing would change in our lives. Christians should live in such a way that if we knew we only had a few days to live, nothing would change in our lives. May I submit to you that one of the greatest obstacles in the Christian life is boredom? We think the only way to truly serve God are as if things are exciting. If things are happening in life, we think that if we come to church and nothing is happening, something is wrong. But what we fail to realize is that God most often works in the routine and mundane, ordinary things of life. One of the things that I've heard often in ministries, in ministry over the past 20 years, is that when churches become mundane and routine, people tend to lose interest. And it ultimately leads people to want to visit other churches or leave that church to go and search for greener grass or fresh water. They're searching for some excitement or something new because things just aren't what they would like it to be at church. It isn't what it once was. It doesn't feel like it used to feel like. Things have become ordinary and regular and routine and mundane. Through the years, I've heard people say, I just don't feel like I belong. I feel things just aren't exciting. You know, ultimately, whenever people begin to say that, ultimately, there's a step out the door. So what churches and particularly pastors do as a knee-jerk reaction is we spend most of our time trying to create something of a church service to make it exciting and exhilarating so that people can feel like they're doing something or part of something. But the life of Jesus shows us something 
about the value of faithfulness. Even when things don't feel exciting, it doesn't seem exciting, it just feels routine. You see, in the final moments leading up to the death of Christ, what we see is Jesus had developed a routine. Something that he believed to be the most important things that he could be doing prior to meeting death. Teaching, praying, sleeping, teaching, praying, sleeping. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But it's really more than that, isn't it? Jesus is being faithful to the will of the Father. He's being faithful to do the things that he knows he ought to do. And so he is communing with God and he is instructing and pouring himself out to others. Brothers and sisters, some Christians think that the only way to serve God is to serve in some form or fashion on a church committee or to hold some position at the church. Some people believe that to be part of things of God, you need to be part of mission trips and you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. But Jesus is showing us, I believe in this little detail, that the greatest way to serve God is to love God and love others. It's to spend time alone with God and pour yourself into others. You see, brothers and sisters, when you die one day, Jesus is going to be expressly unconcerned of how exciting your Christian life was and how your church experiences were. But he's going to be deeply concerned with how faithful you were in the routines of life. Listen to what I'm about to say. The reason that faithfulness is so valuable to God is because there will be times when you will want to abandon the mundane for bigger and better things. But the principle that Jesus is teaching us is that if we fail to master the mundane, we will miss the spectacular. You see, Jesus taught us lessons throughout the Bible about faithfulness. Remember the parable of the talents? Remember the one who was faithful with the little bit? Here's what Jesus said to him. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, I'm pleased with you that you are faithful with the little things. I'm pleased that you were faithful with the insignificant things, the things that everybody else would have looked past and said, that's not very exciting. There's not much success in that. Jesus rewards that type of faithfulness. We need to learn to be faithful in the small ways of life that God has called us to serve. Faithful to spend time with God in prayer and in His Word and faithful to fellowship with other believers and pour ourselves into them. Faithful to share the gospel with those who do not know Christ. And I want you to notice another small detail in verse 38. It says, And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Please listen to this. Spending time with Jesus is worth losing sleep over. I want to say it again to some of you who are sleeping. <laughs> Spending time with Jesus is worth sacrificing sleep for. Amen. 
They got out of bed early to go hear Jesus. So as you go through your day, please know this. You cannot pour anything into anyone if you are an empty vessel. You need to be filled with Jesus so that you can offer what you have of Him to other people. And you are not going to be filled with Jesus if you're not spending time with Him. It's a small detail. But it's in these small details that we see wonderful things. You see, the Christian life is not based on how exciting things are in your life or how exciting things are at church or the everyday routines of being a mother or a father or the things that we do at work. It's about being faithful. If Jesus had to spend time with the Father, by the way, how much more important is it for us to spend time with Jesus? If Jesus poured Himself into others, we also need to be pouring ourselves into others. So let me say this, if you were part of a small group, whether you lead it or whether you're part of it, if you're a teacher in one of our Sunday schools, if you are a greeter at, here at church, if you are a mother, if you are a father, if you are a husband, if you are a wife, if you are a grandparent, if you are a friend, if you are a neighbor, if you are an employee, if you are an employer, if you are a sibling, whatever you are, as a child of God, you need to be spending time with God so that others can benefit from the overflow of God through your life into them. You see, it affects us in the mundane things, in the everyday way of being a parent, in the everyday way of going to school to be a friend, in the everyday way of being a sibling. Our time with God is vital to being filled up with Him so that we can pour ourselves into others. Do you all understand that as a pastor, I spend most of my days alone. Most of my time is spent alone. I shut my door and I spend quiet time reading, searching, studying, praying. For what? So that I can take that quiet time and alone time and pour into you for just a few minutes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. If I don't have that alone time, I have nothing to offer you because I promise you I'm the most boring person in this room. It is necessary that I spend time alone with God that I may pour into you. And let me confess something to you. As a pastor, that gets very routine and very mundane. And there are times when I have to battle as a pastor. Because I battle through the emotions that you do. What I'm doing is not making any difference. Nobody's benefiting from this. I'm, if they had another pastor, Calvary would be so much better off. I think those things. I struggle with those things because sometimes my life just feels mundane and it feels routine. Believe me, there are times I, I long for excitement. I long for those mountaintop experiences. But man, when I see details like this, it's so refreshing to know that God is most concerned with one little detail of my life, and that's faithfulness. 
And faithfulness is only, requ- is only a requirement because there's going to be times when you don't want to be faithful. Sometimes you just feel like you have nothing to offer. And that's why it's imperative that we spend time with God. This is what we see in Christ's life. If most people read this about Christ, teaching, spending time with the Father, praying, uh, or, 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 or sleeping, teaching. And we see, and the Bible shows us that this is what was going on for days. Doesn't seem very exciting. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was faithful to the end. It was about faithfulness that he did these things. But then Luke shows us another picture, and this is in contrast to Christ. Look at what he says here as we, as we, as we come to our concluding thoughts. Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and he conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him. Now we get into the action. This is the exciting stuff. Or is it? They were glad and they agreed to give him money. And so he consented and he sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Folks, who were these people? Were these pagans? Were these unbelievers? Well, these were the religious people. These were people who had served in the temple, who had studied the Word of God and had preached the Word of God. Judas walked with Jesus for three years and sat under his teaching. These are the men who were betraying and plotting against the Son of God. And you know what it shows us? And I want you to hear this very loudly and very clearly. Religion cannot save anyone. Religion cannot save anyone. The priests of the temple are just going through religious motions. They do not fear God. They do not have a relationship with God. They are religious and that is it. Judas is just going through the motions of being a follower of Jesus. He was numbered with the 12, meaning that he held the office of an apostle. Let me tell you what that means. He was able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. He was able to do many wonderful things in the name of Jesus. He was prophesying in the name of Jesus, but he was not a believer. Brother Greg, how do we know that Judas wasn't a believer? Because the Bible tells us that he was not a believer. uh, John 6.44 says, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, but there are some of you, talking to his his disciples, he said, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Judas held the office of an apostle. Judas was able to cast out demons. Judas did many mighty works in the name of Jesus. Folks, I'm going to read a verse and I want you to think of Judas when I read this. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. Hey, Jesus, we had an exciting ministry down there. We did all sorts of things in the name of Jesus. Man, we were were killing it. In verse 23, Jesus said, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
You see, brothers and sisters, religion has a way of making us look like we are sincere. Religion makes people look like they are devoted to God. Religion even promotes many wonderful things in the name of Jesus. But if religion is all you have, you are nothing more than an empty soul. And you have nothing. And what is really sad is that Judas believed that what he was doing was best for him. He was benefiting from this. He was getting gain from this, making money from this. You see, religion makes you think that life is about you. Judas believed that he was going to benefit uh, from this deal that he had made with the chief priests. They too were glad. They were benefiting as well because there was nothing that they wanted more than to see this one who was messing up their religious money-making system die. They wanted him gone. And so you need to ask yourself some questions this morning. Are you truly following Jesus or following religion? Are you really devoted to Christ or are you just devoted to participating in Christian activity? Brothers and sisters, remember, Judas looked a lot like a Christian. Following Jesus for three years, sitting under him, and even was over the finances of the twelve. But he was always an unbeliever. He was always an unbeliever. So here's some thoughts I want you to consider as we think about this message today. Just think about these things. We need to know that being faithful in the mundane routines of life is one of the greatest ways to show loyalty and love to God. If coming to church has become routine for you, and it's become mundane for you, but you're, and you're doing it out of faithfulness, you're doing it out of, a, out of a being faithful to God, you know it's the right thing to be under the preaching, to be with brothers and sisters. That's a blessed thing to do. Can I submit something to you this morning? There are times when even I don't feel like being at church. But what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is doing what you know you ought to do even when you don't feel like you want to do it. So don't be afraid of the mundane and the routine. Be faithful. There are times when being a parent will feel routine and mundane. There's time when being an employee will feel routine and mundane or being an employer will feel routine and mundane. But God has put you in a place. God has put you in a position as a sibling, as a School, as a friend at school, as uh, whatever it is that God's put you in. Be faithful in the routine. And we need to know that if Jesus spent time alone with the Father, we certainly need to spend time alone with the Father. Make sure that you have a time during the day that you are getting alone with God. And by the way, some of you are still thinking about what I said about getting up earlier and you're one of those that likes to sleep. And you... You can't see straight till about lunchtime. I'm not going to sit here and say it's right or wrong to do it early in the morning or late in the evening or in the middle of the day. In fact, I think that we ought to be probably finding time in all of those. But whenever you can, get along with God and spend time with the Father. We need to also know that we cannot pour anything into anyone if we are an empty vessel. 
We need to be filled with Jesus so that we can pour what we have of Him out to others. That's why it's important to spend time with God. And we also need to know this, religion isn't enough. Having a church experience isn't enough. We need to have a true abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to know that God is at work even in the plots of evil men to bring about His good and His glory. Brothers and sisters, because of this evil plot from Judas and the chief priests, Jesus was ultimately killed on the cross. But by doing so, He became the Passover Lamb. Because of this evil plot by these religious leaders and this one pretending to follow Jesus, the Scriptures were fulfilled. And today, salvation is available to those who will call on the name of the Lord. And what all of that shows us is what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good. And that's what God is doing. He works in the routine, He works in the mundane, and He even works through the evil things to bring about good. And so brothers and sisters... Be faithful. Be faithful all the way to the end. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and thank You for Your Word that You've given to us and thank You for the life of Christ that we can read about and study and learn and be convicted uh, from as we learn about You. Help us, Lord, to not to dwell on the things that aren't happening, but to be more concerned with how to be faithful in those things. And in those times where it doesn't feel uh, exciting or feel like life is being productive or that you feel or that we feel successful, Lord, help us to know that we don't operate by feelings. We operate by faith and we're to be faithful, full of faith as we go through all of these areas of life. God, help me. There's times whenever, Lord, I get stuck. And Lord, I feel like the routine has overwhelmed me and boredom just sort of wants to take root. But Lord, in spite of all of those times and moments, Lord, I just want to stop right here and say thank you for being faithful when I have faltered in my faith. Thank you for being faithful to pursue me and to guide me back to a right way of thinking, to guide me back to a genuine desire for Christ, to guide me back to seeing you and your glory. And it's not about me. So Lord God, fill us this morning as your people with these words. And may we learn the value of faithfulness. And one day, Lord, as we've been faithful in the routine, the little things, Lord, you are going to show us the spectacular and we'll be able to enter into the joy of the Lord. Thank you for that promise. May you get glory through your word and through your people today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.